Well, again, good morning, everyone. Uh, if you have a Bible with you, let me encourage you to turn with me to the short but profound letter of Jude. Uh, for those of you who are, again, new, uh, we are now in our third week of this teaching series where we are simply working verse by verse uh, through this letter. And what I believe we've seen thus far in our study of Jude is just simply God's deep love and care for his people, the church. Jude reminds us right from the very start that for those who are in Christ, for those who follow Christ, for those who believe that Jesus is Lord, we are called by God, we are loved by the Father, and we are kept for his Son, Jesus. We are secure. Well, then last week, we looked at what you could consider to be the purpose or the reasoning behind this letter. Jude calls the church to action. He calls the church to contend for the gospel, to fight for the faith. Uh, you see, what we know at this time is that the gospel was being threatened. Some false teachers had come into the church, and what Jude tells us is that they had actually crept into the gathering. They had secretly come in. They had come in unnoticed. And it's not so much that they were outwardly denying the gospel, but that they were distorting the gospel. And so that's why Jude writes, this letter is a warning. It's a call to the church to be discerning. It's a reminder for us to know the truth and to stand firm in that truth. And so that's where we've been. And, and here's where we're going today. Again, Jude has called the church to contend for the faith in verse 3. He has described the errors or the faults, if you will, of these false teachers, that they were abusing the grace of the gospel and denying Jesus as Lord. And now today, we're going to just simply see Jude expand on that. He's going to dig deeper into these false teachers and their false teaching. And in a way, what we're going to see Jude do is provide evidence against their wrongdoing. He's going to show us uh, how to spot a false teacher, while at the same time provide us assurance that God is protecting us and keeping us in the midst of this fight. Uh, and I want to say this as well before we jump into our text today, uh, that the scriptures that we're going to be reading today um, are very intense. Um, and there are a lot more difficult passages uh, to understand in this section. And so I just want to say uh, right at the very front of this, um, it's going to be really difficult to cover uh, everything here or everything that's here in this text in, in one short sermon. And so my encouragement to you is this. Uh, after this, go study this passage more. Uh, I can recommend a great commentary to you by Thomas Schreiner. Uh, he writes a commentary that goes through First and Second Peter and Jude. So I recommend that to you. You can look him up, Thomas Schreiner. Um, but then I'll also remind you again, uh, this is a great opportunity, especially this week, to go to the Wednesday night Jude study uh, and ask questions there. Because you're going to see today there's just a lot here. Uh, but certainly, I'm going to do my, my very best. And so here we go. Uh, in verse 4, Jude identifies these false teachers as ungodly, as deceitful, and as enemies of God's grace. And now he's going to provide us with some really dense evidence 
that this is true, starting in verse 5. And the way Jude does that first uh, is by actually pointing us to the past to show that there's really nothing uh, nothing new going on here. That these teachers are consistent with what has gone on uh, before them. And so look with me again at verse 5. We're going to read through verse 7. This is what Jude writes. Now I want to remind you, although you once fully knew it, that Jesus, who saved a people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed those who did not believe. And the angels who did not stay within their own position of authority, but left their proper dwelling, he has kept in eternal chains under gloomy darkness until the judgment of the great day. Just as Sodom and Gomorrah and the surrounding cities, which likewise indulged in sexual immorality and pursued unnatural desire, serve as an example by undergoing a punishment of eternal fire. And so we see here, uh, Jude provides the church uh, with a historical reminder of God's judgment. He's saying, do you remember the past when people opposed the Lord and opposed the Lord's truth? Uh, You remember what happened to them? Yeah, uh, these false teachers that I'm warning you about, They're just like that, and they're going to end up just like that as well. And let's remember, uh, this is a primarily Jewish audience that Jude is writing to. And so they would very much understand and be able to relate uh, to these examples. He says, "These, uh, these false teachers are like unbelieving or the unbelieving Jews in the desert after they were saved out of Egypt. He says, they are like the angels in heaven who were condemned because they refused to live under the authority of God and according to God's purposes. And then notice, he links these false teachers also to the people of Sodom and Gomorrah. Uh, You might recall the story in Genesis. Uh, These cities are judged. Why? Uh, Because the people wandered off the path of what God had designed and what God had planned. They were living uh, the way that they wanted to live. And so Jude now connects these false teachers Uh, as being in the same vein or uh, in the same stream as all these other uh, false teachers uh, throughout biblical history. And again, uh, what's the point here? Well, in some ways, it's just to inform us that this is nothing new, that people have always had a tendency to go their own way and will continue to do so. Uh, But also, it reminds us of God's righteous judgment throughout history to know what to expect now, right? Sin is sin. Rebellion against God continues and will continue. But God will be and has been consistent with how he deals with it. And so that's where Jude sort of begins this section with a reminder well, then we, we enter into the bulk of the passage, and that's where we're going to spend the majority of our time today, where Jude sort of takes us behind the curtain, if you will. He, he sort of shines a light in the darkness to show us what motivates these false teachers. And for our purposes today, what we're going to say is, what are the marks, what are the marks, what are the telltale signs of a false teacher? 
so that the church will have discernment and be able to know and see what is true. And Jude does this in what I believe are three broad categories. The first, if you're taking notes, number one, what is the first mark of a false teacher? Number one, they reject God's authority. They reject God's authority. This is one of the easier ways, uh, I I think, to to spot a false teacher. They reject God's authority. And you really see that in verses 8 through 10, but look specifically with me at verse 8. It says this, Yet in like manner, these people also, relying on their dreams, defile the flesh, reject authority, and blaspheme the glorious one. And so Jude says here, these false teachers, they are relying on their dreams. And that word dreams, uh, it's a similar word uh, to the word delusion. And so Jude is certainly not talking about like uh, happy dreams here. He's not talking about these like how these people are just like living up in the clouds, like they're hoping for better things, hoping for better days, right? It's actually the, the opposite, right? This is a very negative term. Uh, these are bad, uh, evil, wicked delusions, actually. And they are causing these false teachers to rely on themselves, which in turn is turning them and others away from the gospel These delusions, you could say, uh, they are or were not in line with God's authority and his revealed will. And so what does that look like? Well, uh, it it could be something as simple as a person saying something like, um, well, I know God's word says this, uh, but I think things should look like this other thing. Right? Or how about this one? Uh, Maybe you've heard this. You know, uh, well, you know, I'm reading the Bible uh, but it, it doesn't really seem loving for God to command this or to not allow people to do this or to live the way they want to live. Or, uh, or well, I, I understand that God said that, but that's probably just for that time or probably just for that culture. And so I'm going to go this other way instead. Uh, but understand that what is, but understand what's happening when someone does that, right? It's subtle, but what's happening is that they are really uh, taking themselves. They're, they're coming out from underneath the authority of God's divine will, and they are instead choosing to live according to their own heart. And so what Jude says here is recognize that, um, identify that. Uh, what you believe God should do or how you believe God should be does not validate what is truth. And actually, what typically follows uh, living according to your, your dreams is actually going off the path of truth and instead living according to the flesh. And that's why Jude says here in verse 10, he says, But these people blaspheme all that they do not understand, And they are destroyed by all that they, like unreasoning animals, understand instinctively. Do you see that? Uh, Jude is saying the problem is that the reliance of, uh, uh, to have a reliance on our delusions, when we do that, it leads people to live like unreasoning animals. In other words, they are living by their instincts. That's what that means, right? Does that make sense? Um, When you take yourself out from underneath God's authority, what is left? Well, 
It's just doing whatever you want to do. It's living by how you feel. It's literally living like an animal, Jude says. You know, one of our better known church fathers, Martin Luther, he wrote this to this point. I think it sums it up nice. He said, they consider not him as their Lord, but themselves as their own Lord. Right? That's a, just a really good way to simplify this. Uh, to rely on your own dreams is to make yourself Lord. To rely on your own delusions is to reject the Lordship of Jesus Christ. And we see this all throughout the scriptures. And now here in Jude, these false teachers were following themselves and disregarding God's moral standards. Well, uh, Jude continues to strengthen this point of how false teachers reject God's authority. And we see him do that by turning to three really strong historical images. And again, these are all familiar people and familiar stories to show the nature of these people who have crept into the church. Uh, look at verse 11. He says, Woe to them, for they walked in the way of Cain and abandoned themselves for the sake of gain to Balaam's error and perished in Korah's rebellion. He says, first, uh, these false teachers, they walk in the way of Cain. They follow in Cain's direction. And what that represents is just empty religion and unbelief. It's righteousness based on good works and a person's character. And more specifically, uh, we know with these false teachers, right, there was no reliance on God and his salvific plan. Rather, uh, they were living as if they could save themselves. Uh, it was a rejection of God's authority over salvation. But not only that, Jude says that they also, they were walking like Balaam. And ultimately, what that means is that they were rejecting God's authority for what it means to be a leader of God's people. Uh, you see, the error of, of Balaam was leading for the sake of material gain. It was a problem of indulgence. And again, that's these false teachers, right? They were all about themselves with no care, with no concern for others. They were just about themselves. And then finally, he compares them to Korah and his followers. And we know in that story, right, that these were individuals uh, who resented the leadership of Moses. And they dared God to do anything about their rebellion, right? They were rejecting the leadership of God's ordained leaders, right? The elders of Israel. And now Jude says, these false teachers, they're doing the exact same thing. And so what this is, what we have here, we have a rejection of God. We have a rejection of God's truth. And we also have a rejection of God's people or the people that God has placed in leadership, right? They believed they could do better. They believed about themselves that they, they knew better. And so this is an authority issue. And understand, again, sometimes this is really outright and sometimes this is subtle. But this is one of the main characteristics or marks of a false teacher is that they themselves are or they become the final authority. They come out from under the Lord and out from under the authority of the scriptures. 
And I think all of us, uh, we have the tendency or even can do this in even really small ways. Each and every one of us, right? We can live our lives as if we don't need the Lord. We can be self-righteous. We can consider ourselves above others, even to the point of using people. And I think uh, for so many of us, right, we struggle with submitting to authority of any kind as well. I know I struggled with that for a lot of my life, just wanting to submit my life to other people. But, and so, but these are good questions to ask ourselves then. Like, like how am I like Cain? Right? How am I like Balaam or, or Korah? Uh, maybe not outwardly, but even inwardly. And then ask God to, to cleanse you from those things, cleanse you from those leanings, to set you on the right path, and to help you get back underneath his authority. Well, uh, now we get to verses 12 through 13. And Jude shifts the conversation a little bit. And, and we're going to see him use pictures from everyday life and the world around us to help explain the dangers of false teachers particularly in the sense of their deception. And that's going to be our second mark today for a false teacher. Uh, Jude gives us this. The second mark of a false teacher is that they resort to deliberate deception. They resort to deliberate deception. And so work through these with me. Joy, uh, Jude points to nature starting in verse 12. And it's, it's not on the screen, but look at your Bible. Verse 12. First, he says, these false teachers are like hidden reefs at your love feasts. And love feasts, that's a term for the common fellowship dinners. He says, and they eat with you without fear. If you've ever been uh, on a boat at sea, uh, particularly a ferry, uh, you know that oftentimes there are, are buoys out there in the water, right? And why? Why are they there? Well, uh, they were put there by people who have gone out, right, and measured the depths of the water. And as they find those hidden dangers in the water, they put markers there. And so these buoys, they serve as warnings to, to stay away or to go around. Like, don't get close, right? Or there's, gonna, there's, there's danger here. And that's what Jude is saying here in the text. He says, false teachers are like hidden dangers in the water, that could cause severe destruction. But they don't warn you about themselves. And so know that and see that, right? Be aware and stay away from them, for they have no fear of God's judgment. He also says these false teachers are like shepherds who only feed themselves. And of course we know, right? That's the exact opposite of what a shepherd should be. Uh, shepherds should find their sheep, gather their sheep, take their sheep to, to good pastures to, to nourish them. But false teachers, Jude says, they feed off the sheep. And that could look like so many different things. Uh, maybe that's financial, where, uh, where people are, are convincing people within the body to give money to earn God's favor. Or maybe it's, it's emotional abuse, which is, which is often rooted uh, in, in guilt. But, but either way, right, these, these people, they talk and act as if they work for the good of the people. But, in, but really what they're doing is just using and abusing the people to get what they want and nothing more. 
Well, Jude goes on. He says that they are also like waterless clouds that are swept away by the wind. In other words, false teachers often promise something to you, right? It looks like life will come from them. It looks like health will come from following them in their ways. But they are really just waterless clouds, right? False teachers can never give true life because they live and lead contrary to the will of God. They might look good. They might dress good. Uh, they might have a nice smile, a nice car, a nice house. They might even have a large gathering, a large following. But if they aren't leading people to life, they're useless. Well, if, if that was not enough, uh, Jude continues. He's just crushing these false teachers here. He says, they're like fruitless trees in late autumn. Uh, some of you know I grew up in upstate New York. Uh, we have a lot of apple orchards up there. And when autumn comes, especially late autumn, uh, there is an expectation that fruit will be hanging from those trees. But here, Jude says, uh, with these false teachers, there's nothing. They are bare. There's no fruit. Uh, they might talk a lot of Bible, but there is no fruit from their labor. And there is no root with them either, right? They are dead, dead, in other words, from top to bottom. That's what Jude tells us. There is no life in these people, and there's no life coming from these people, uh, period. And we could really spend all day on these pictures and images that Jude is giving us here, uh, but there are two more. He says that they're also like wild wind, uh, waves uh, of the sea, wild waves of the sea. And that doesn't mean strong. Uh, it actually means proud. Jude here is he's calling these false teachers. He's calling them arrogant. And what do strong waves ultimately bring up to the shore or bring up to the surface? If you've ever seen this at the beach, trash, right? Trash. And that's these false teachers. They only produce trash. They talk a lot. They boast. But in the end, all they produce is shame. All they produce is garbage. And then lastly, uh, he compares these false teachers to wandering stars. He uses a term for what we now commonly call a falling star, a shooting star, uh, or a comet. And what do we know about them? Well, uh, they're, they're flashy, right? They look cool in the moment, but ultimately they are here and they are gone so fast. And so what's Jude's point here? Well, he's thinking in the category of navigation, actually. See, stars at that time were most often used to point you to the right direction, uh, to help you get home. And so Jude is saying, these people are the opposite of being a permanent fixture. They can't guide you. They can't lead you. They might promise you that, but it's all just deception. They are here for a short time. But ultimately, they will fade away like all the others who have opposed God. So false teachers, they deny God's authority. They are deceptive in how they present themselves. And then finally, what I believe we see in this text, number three, a mark of a false teacher, they are hypocrites. Number three, they are hypocrites. Look with me at verse 16. He says, these, he's talking about the false teacher, these are grumblers, malcontents, 
following their own sinful desires. They are loud-mouthed boasters showing favoritism to gain advantage. Right? We see another not-so-great list here from Jude. Uh, but again, I, I told you from the beginning, this is pretty intense all throughout. Right? Jude doesn't hold back. And I think we can clump all of these together, these characteristics together in one big summary statement. These false teachers, Jude says, they give people the impression that they are godly men and women who live according to what they say and what they teach. They, they say and present themselves as godly, above reproach. Uh, they think and, and believe and carry themselves as if they have it all figured out, when in reality, uh, they are none of those things and do none of those things. That in reality, behind the scenes, uh, they are nothing more than proud. They're only interested in gratifying themselves, in fulfilling their own desires. And, and of course, the original example of this is Satan, or was Satan himself. Many of us know the story. Uh, Satan, an angel, uh, he was created by God, unique, but desired so much to be like God that God had to cast him out of heaven and curse him. And of course, we know Satan was not content with that, that he wanted to share his misery uh, with others. And so what does he do? Well, he shows up to the Garden of Eden, uh, Garden of Eden before Adam and Eve. And, and while he's there, uh, he presents himself to Adam and Eve. And what does he do? Well, he starts by rejecting God's authority, by questioning God's authority. He says to the couple, he says to them, did God really say not to eat of that tree? And then second, he follows that by doing what? Well, he deceives them. He deceives them. He says, oh, no, don't worry about it. You can eat that, eat that fruit. You can eat of that tree, right? You won't die if you eat that. Uh, actually, the opposite will happen. You're going to become like God if you eat of that fruit. And of course, we know Satan, he is a hypocrite. He is the, the dictionary definition of the hypocrite, actually. He was giving Adam and Eve the impression that he was for them, that he was there to help them. But in reality, it was really all about himself. Satan was the original false teacher, and all other false teachers after him follow his example and follow this exact same pattern. They draw people to themselves, and they draw people away from God. Well, after, sh after showing such vivid pictures uh, of the, and, and marks of false teachers, after Jude shines a light onto the pride, onto the arrogance and hypocrisy of these people who have crept into the gathering, now Jude really brings down the hammer. And he says this in verse 14 through 15. It was also about these that Enoch, the seventh from Adam, prophesied, saying, Behold, the Lord comes with 10,000 of his holy ones to execute judgment on all and to convict all the ungodly of all their deeds of ungodliness that they have committed in such an ungodly way. And of all the harsh things that ungodly sinners have spoken against him, 
Notice how many times it says ungodly there. Uh, quite a few. But before we, we get into this text a little bit more, more deeply, let me really quickly address this whole Enoch issue here. Uh, I told you that there are several passages in this section that just need a, a, a bit more explaining. Well, this is one of them. Uh, again, there, there, there are a few. For example, there's another one in verse 9. You can, you can open your Bible right now and look at it, where the, we see the arch, uh, archangel Michael is fighting Satan over the body of Moses. And so what's that all about? Well, we'll know this. There are really good explanations for all these. Um, I, but I didn't want to take, you know, 5, 10, 15 minutes on each of these issues uh, because they aren't the main point of the passage. And so, again, I encourage you, uh, go back to that Shriner commentary, uh, look them up, and as well, uh, ask a lot of questions in this coming week's Wednesday discussion group going deeper in Jude. All right? But back to Enoch. We see here, what, what we're seeing here ultimately is the Holy Spirit leading Jude to quote from a book that is actually outside of the scriptures, right? The book of Enoch is actually found in uh, the Apocrypha, okay? But don't be alarmed by that. Like, well, why is Enoch in here? Why, why is that quote in here if it's not scripture? Well, here's what we know, right? This, this, this happens other places in scripture. For example, the Apostle Paul actually quoted, right, a pagan Greek philosopher in Acts chapter 17, when he was sharing the gospel and, and talking about Jesus to unbelieving Athenians. And so all we're seeing here is Jude quoting from a very well-known Jewish source, a Jewish text, to strengthen his point about the coming judgment. Right? He's using writings that his audience would know and understand to support his claims. That's all that's happening here. Right? And so, so what is he saying? What does it actually mean? Why does he do this? Well, Jude is saying through Enoch's prophecy, if these false teachers are who we think they are, if they have this connection to false teachers in the past, and if you can see similar marks now in them, here's what's going to happen. It's actually verse 11 as well. Woe to them. Woe to them. He's saying, God has always and will always bring righteous judgment to false teachers. And Jude has been alluding to that truth the whole way through this section. He said, they will be destroyed in verse 5 and verse 10. In verse 6, he says that they will be kept in eternal chains. He says in verse 7 that they are undergoing punishment. He also says that they will perish in verse 11 and that they are those whom the gloom of utter darkness has been reserved forever in verse 13. Um, now, I want to say this as well. I don't think Jude is pronouncing judgment here with great, a great amount of joy, right? This is not some perverse glee here through this text, right? Like, see, right, these people are finally getting what they deserve, but rather, we should read this with a, a sober sense of the reality that this is the cost of trying to live our lives outside of God's will and God's design. This is the cost of distorting the gospel and leading people astray. 
And so this is why Jude urges the church. He is pleading with you and I to contend for the faith. Uh, This is too important. The cost is too high. People's lives, eternity is at stake here. And I know for, for some of you, Right? The idea of, of exposing people and even confronting people, right? it seems unloving. It seems not tolerant. Right? But, but ask yourself, is showing tolerance, allowing someone to remain deceived and allowing them to potentially deceive others, right? is that tolerant? Right? Is, is it really loving to allow someone to walk a path that is ultimately leading them away from their good and their flourishing? Right? So let the reality of God's judgment here, let it stir your heart and, and realize that oftentimes contending for the faith is actually the most loving thing that you could do. And then I'll end this point uh, by saying this. Uh, the, this, the, the fact that, that righteous judgment is surely coming to false teachers and false teaching, I really believe, again, that, that this reality is meant to sober us. But also I believe that it should be a great encouragement to us as well to know that in the end that every wrong will be made right. That even though false teachers will come with false teaching, that the Lord is protecting us, that the Lord cares for us, that the Father loves us. And again, as Jude told us right from the start, that God is keeping us. Well, I want to close our time together with this. Uh, Just a couple takeaways here. And really, the first takeaway uh, that I want for you is simply a reminder of last week. The reason Jude is building this in-depth case here against false teachers and their false teaching is, again, to, to compel us to do what he urged the church to do from the start of this letter. We need to be willing to contend for the faith. Each and every one of us have to be willing to do this. But to be able to do that, we need to be able to know what is true. And that just makes sense, right? we won't be able to spot and recognize false teaching any other way. So church, know the gospel. Know the scriptures inside and out, right? There's really no excuse for any of us not to know the gospel and not to know the scriptures because we have full access to it, right? We have multiple versions in countless languages. We have so many different opportunities for applications on our phones and reading plans, right? We have so many books out there, articles, podcasts that you can listen to from solid teachers, right? The gospel and the Bible have never been more accessible than they are right now. So take advantage of it, right? So that you can contend for the faith. And then let me encourage you more specifically. Within the scriptures, to deeply look at the person of Jesus Christ. Right? If you want to know the truth, look to the person who was and is the truth. If you want to know the scriptures, look to the one who all of the scriptures point us towards. You know, think about this. Jesus uh, is literally the antithesis the opposite of a false teacher. 
where false teachers are like, are like hidden reefs uh, that cause, uh, or hidden reefs that cause destruction, right? People you need to avoid, right? We know that Jesus is our safe harbor, the one that we should draw near to. Where false teachers are shepherds who just feed themselves. We know that Jesus is the good shepherd who leads us through the valleys of life to green pastures. He cares for us. But not only that, as the good shepherd, we know that he laid down his life for us, his sheep. Where false teachers are are waterless, lifeless, we know Jesus himself is life. That actually the Lord's teaching are like drops of rain and his words are like refreshing dew. Where false teachers are fruitless, twice dead, uprooted, we know that Jesus is the true vine. And that if you are connected to him by faith, you'll find life every day and life eternal. Nourishment and a life of fruitful flourishing come from being with Jesus. And whereas false teachers are like wandering stars, unfixed, here and gone, We know that Jesus is the bright and morning star. Jesus is our firm foundation, and he is sure. And because of that, he should be and deserves to be the very center of our lives. We can depend on him to guide us through all darkness and all struggles of life. And if we just look to him, we'll always find our way back home. Church family, if you want to know the truth, if you want to be able to recognize the truth, look to Jesus Christ. And as you look to Jesus, be willing to to contend for the faith when you are called to it. Have courage. Be bold, knowing that the one who called you loves you. And the one who called you and loves you is keeping you to the end. Will you pray with me?